This is episode 17 of the Reimagining podcast. And in this podcast, we are talking about imagination. Not necessarily reimagining things, but imagining things. And um, as with the last episode we did, we kind of fall right in the middle of a conversation that we're having, John and I. So, uh, without further ado, here's uh, Rogin Oort, that would be me, and John Wenger talking about imagining what can be. Enjoy. May the 4th yesterday, I spent the whole day watching back-to-back Star Wars movies and marvel at some of the stuff that, that you see and um, that if we, if we don't imagine these things, um, they, they don't come into, there's no way that they can come into being. It's like we, we do actually have to have these conversations about what's, what's not right, what doesn't work for us in the workplace and then how can we imagine it might be done differently? And yeah, sometimes, sometimes I get impatient with, yeah, yeah, it's all talk, it's lovely talk, it's lovely chat, but where's the action? But the action has to come from an imagining, a reimagining, a reworking, um, because otherwise you, you get nothing. If we didn't imagine we'd ever get to the moon, we could have the same level of technology in our lives, perhaps most of it, perhaps not with Teflon, but <laughs> yeah. we could have lives much like we have, but we may never have got to the moon unless somebody had said, oh, actually, maybe we could get there. You know, and the the thing I I was saying to you about as a kid wanting a communicator and a tricorder from the you know the original Star Trek, and now I hold in my hand my iPhone, which has I think is it far exceeds those devices that I coveted as a child. Mm. Um, microphone so, still your microphone is still is it against your shirt? Oh, um, you know, co- coveting those things that Gene Roddenberry invented or imagined. So, you know, reimagining work. Um, Which is like a, a, a perpetual state of um, imagination and, and mm. uh, I mean, science fiction movies in general come up with stuff which are uh, so far out there. And um, I, th- I think the, uh, the original Star Trek series didn't have the teleportation device, right? So they... It did. It, did ha- it had... It had um... It, did it, it did in, have, in the series? Because yeah. mm-hmm. yeah, I'm yeah. not too familiar with it. Yeah. But not in the beginning, right? I mean... Yeah, it did, right from the beginning. It did? Yeah. Okay. Right. Well, that's me then. So what was the name of that? that you, mentioned, you mentioned that robot, which is kind of... A BB-8, early, wasn't uh, it? BB-8, a BB-8. An early iteration of what we know as R2-D2 from the Star Wars movies, I suppose. Well, BB-8 is the... I mean, we're 30 years onwards, right? Yeah. So BB-8 is a, a robot which is developed on. Because we're talking about development also within Star Trek, right? Sure, sure. I mean, I mean you're dealing with R2-D2 in, in, in Episode 7. That's 30 years after Episode 6. And it's um, that was... 20 years something after, after, after the after first Revenge of the Sith, yeah. And before that, 
R2D2 was already um, an old, or it wasn't an a old, new, an older model. Yeah. An older model. I mean, it yeah. was already in use quite a while because it had a lot mm. of experience. It was already been mm -hmm. up in space for for mm -hmm. had had great stories to tell C3PO when he first met them, mm -hmm. right? So he already had a couple of years. Mm -hmm. So by the time you get to episode seven, the thing is going to be like what 50, 60 years old. <laughs> As far as technology mm. goes, that's that's old. <laughs> that's right. That's so right. That's true. So yeah, I mean, it's that's one of the things. Well, you know, the, the, the link to the workplace. I saw uh, one of those promoted tweets the other day for an organization that's designing some software. Uh, it's a startup, I think, uh, and they're designing software so that you can, for a reason unknown to myself, um, uh, do. Um, what was it? it? It had a picture of the, an organizational chart, and it was a traditional command and control, CEO at the top, and then the kind of the pyramid tree thing. So it was a, it was a software for you to do that thing. Um, and I looked at that and I went, um, well, they've kind of, they've got a technology, a piece of software, so you can do a thing, which we've been doing, you know, how long has that meme been around, the organizational chart, command and control thing? Industrial days, whoever you know, industrial ages, back in the Victorian days, or whoever knows. Jeez, a that's long an time. old. So the it's, you know the the organizational chart as as in that in that format is an old technology, and we still find it still find ourselves doing it. But the the ostensible update to that technology is that you can do it on a piece of software now. Well, <laughs> what do you do? <laughs> I think the update is the re. Is, uh, I know what do you do exactly. I'm a little bit clumsy in describing it, but I think the reimagining of the organizational chart is kind of in the zone of where we like to play with you know our extended networks of that command and control organizational chart is an old technology and reached and did some good things for a while, but it's reached its useful life. Where is the new organizational design technology coming from? Where's the emergent ways of organizing work? That would be a revolutionary thing worth tweeting about, I think. I think um, it kind of, kind of uh, is. is uh, I always thought when you have um, a nuclear um, power plant, for instance. Uh, so what it does uh, with the nuclear, the, the way I understand it, right? Correct me if I'm wrong, by all means. But a nuclear power plant, nuclear bit of it, does not produce electricity, mm -hmm. right? It create it produces heat. That's what it does. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And what they, and and then what they well you know it's it's energy steam engine. but steam, it's not yes. it's not and then they put a steam engine behind it. Yeah, that's right. Right, that's and that's that, that's yeah. the same thing that where you go like well you have this ancient uh, hierarchical structure, mm. which by now we know is not the best way to go. I mean, it's not the most productive. I mean, if you if you want slavery and slaves, then yeah, it's. You know, or slaves to the daily routine, or whatever you want to call it. But um, then it's useful. And now what they've done is they got all the technology that we have, and electronic electronics that we have, and all the the you know the advanced software that we can have. And they just put the very old hierarchical. The, the Command exactly. and control structure in it. Construct. I mean, a, a, an analogy. If you're a car guy, the analogy might be taking the the you know the the state of the art. I don't know Rolls Royce engine, and and then and then just sellotaping it to the back of a Model T car body, 
and that's an advancement in car technology. You know, like there's a whole yeah, we turn it around exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Putting yeah. putting a Model T Ford engine in a modern yeah. Rolls Royce. So it's a little bit like what they're doing is turbocharging a model which we know now is not so useful. Yeah, true, true. Yeah, true. Yeah, and still, I mean, if if you talk about imagining, I mean, it's 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 probably in in that particular case a complete lack of imagination, which led them to take a model and just build some software around it you know it's just mm. if, if they would have more in, uh, imagination about uh, how you could work it into a workplace or how you can structure a workplace then maybe they could have come up with a different um, piece of software which could handle several hierarchies you know several forms what? Of or several several forms of organizational design and construction. Yeah, you know, that, that's of, what I mean. Yeah. One yeah, one yeah. of the things that I I found um, really exciting about the work that Lee does at PostShift, they did mm -hmm. a presentation that I was I was um, present at, and they they didn't they didn't they don't come at their work with this idea that there is a command and control hierarchies are becoming more dysfunctional. They're not fit for purpose. And we have the, the the best new version. What they do, I think, and certainly in their presentation, is they showed a number of different sort of photos, I suppose, of organizational designs. And their work is to go and work with an organization and start with the thing I think you start with, which is your purpose. What's your purpose? And then what's the best format that will allow you to achieve that purpose? And I, I have never heard Lee say in anything that I've read or heard when speaking to him that says, Strictly speaking, command and control hierarchy is bad in itself. It, it meets a particular purpose. And if you have that particular purpose, then use the structure which is going to help you meet that purpose. Exactly. However, most of what we find in the modern workplace is that we've found ourselves one organizational model, which is command and control hierarchy, and we just use it everywhere. You know? Because it's convenient. Um, you know, it's, it's very easy it's, to, to fill in. I mean, it's very if you, if you look at the military... It, the whole point of it is to have a clear structure which is comprehensible to anybody who sees it. You know, you're marked with your, your stars or your stripes. Yeah. You only need one glance to know exactly where in the hierarchy that person is, right? And it's th that's perfect. I mean, it, it makes sense in certain environments. That's the one, yeah. And um, in a military environment, especially in wartime, you really need a structure like that. You cannot have on every level where you need to have a debate with somebody in order to get something done. It that's just right. doesn't work. You just right. need to get it done every that's single right. time. And that's, that's why right. those kind of structures, hierarchies work very well there. That's right. Well, this is why my one of my thing one of my things, it's probably one of my my, my core thing really is developing greater spontaneity and relationship capital, relationship capability, relationship ability. Mm -hmm. Because if we have those two things, I think we're better able to navigate a world which is more accurate, accurately reflects the real conditions of the world. What I mean by that. So I had a client some time ago where um, he was uh, he was managing the local my local area's emergency relief emergency relief. Um, systems and processes and services, mm -hmm. and I used to live in New Zealand. And earthquakes are a commonplace, occur reasonably commonplace occurrence. So, it was really important that local authorities had a relief, a disaster relief sort of 
section within their organizations. And he was the head of my local region. So if there was ever an emergency, an earthquake or a, a landslip or a fire or a flood or whatever, his people would be the ones going in there and, you know, sorting things out and getting services back running. In those urgent emergency situations, I would, I hoped that he was running things in a command and control way and that the people he was commanding and controlling were well trained. So he spent a lot of his downtime doing training and simulations and stuff like that. And he came to me for, uh, to, to have some conversations around how he can change his leadership style because he couldn't understand that, for one thing, his background was in the police, so he understood command and control hierarchies. He came in and, and did this work. He couldn't understand why his his staff, as he called them, struggled, and he struggled with his staff to get them to do things, generally, using his words. Because when they're doing their simulations and their trainings or they're having their team meetings, he adopted a command and control outlook and conversational style with them. And over the course of our conversations, he realized that leadership has got to be a more spontaneous affair. In other words, you adapt to your situation. The world is too complex to say, I'm just going to do this thing and learn this one way of doing it. And over the course of this, it was like his, the pennies dropped and his eyes shined because he realized that in certain situations, he could try and develop more of a consultative leadership style. And that was a new thing. And so we spent a lot of our time working on that. He developed more of a social ability. So he got to know how important it is to negotiate with people and compromise with people and include people in conversations. Mm -hmm. But when there were disasters, he could value the fact that he was the guy that was at the top of the chain and things got done. He was actually really good at that part of the job. And over time, he also got really good at enlisting people in the work as his team members because he recognized that we're not in a disaster zone now. We're in, we're in other times. And it was, a, it was a fascinating thing for me to learn that kind of the, the practical applica application of spontaneity here is a man who wants to learn how do I be a myriad of different things in my social interactions with a myriad of different people and achieve outcomes that are good for all of us. It was a wonderful, wonderful little sort of case study for me, um, which I've never written down and I probably should. <laughs> um, but it, it, it kind of illustrates, I think, the backstory for what we do is to re, we have to reimagine, we have to imagine different contexts because the, I suppose, one or two dimensional workplace habits or constructs, they don't work in every situation. They work in some. And just because they work in one context, you can't prove that they work in all contexts. Even uh, in, in a military environment, um, when training, right? Yes, yes. Uh, when exercising, uh, obviously, when you when you train Marines, you have to have a certain mindset in order to get them to a certain point where they need to be. But uh, you know, most of them are grunts, right? So they they they're yeah. they're they're built up for a certain purpose. But once you get into more specialized environments, um, like <laughs> what I did, I, I, I built bridges, right? We were with the engineers, and uh -huh. um, you can shout and yell all you want in an environment like that but it doesn't really work mm. especially when you're training and, and things like that it, it doesn't work you have to be a teacher you have to be educational you have to have some empathy because first of all those pieces of bridge are freaking heavy you know and it has to go in a certain order there has to be order sure but there, there there's a lot of there's a lot of puzzling and a lot of thinking and a lot of uh, stuff going about and you cannot just do that and um, 
so yeah, even in a, in a military environment, there has to be some flexibility as as opposed to not necessarily the hierarchy because that doesn't really change, obviously. But it is a uh, thing that uh, you have to adapt um, to the situation. You know, when you're in the classroom, you have to teach, whether that's in 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 a military environment or in a uh, disaster relief or whatever you want to call it environment mm. or in at work i mean you can do a presentation and you can yell and you can you know be authoritative but mm-hmm. that's no way to bring a message across that's always. right that's right i mean when you talk about the military context i'm reminded of my father and i think he found when my sister and i became teenagers he found it really baffling how to relate to us and, and make it work because he was spending all of his days as a senior military person just mm-hmm. saying, do this, and people did it <laughs> and, and found it baffling that he had to learn some other kind of social skills <laughs> to get things to work. Um, but even towards the end of his career, I, I think, I never quizzed him about this, <clears throat> I, I think just from noticing a kind of softness, increasingly softness around him, I think he was becoming, he was coming to realize that some of those older ways, because he joined the military in 1960, some of those older ways, they just didn't work. He had given away that desperate need for them to be the way and realized that actually you get more with honey than with vinegar. And you have to be the leader or the whoever really that's appropriate for your context and situation. Yeah, and they change. And they change. And if we don't open our eyes or train ourselves, I guess this is part of reimagining work. What in a, in a new in a new way of working? What how can I um, develop my vision and my processing of what's going on around me, so that I see what's in front of me? Because you know we also are trained or we train ourselves to see what we're looking for. If if we can re, do you know what I mean by that? Yeah, I guess. If we I mean, if we um you you see what you want to see if, if, or you see that yeah that sort of thing we yeah so we're looking for a particular set of things and we see we tend to see that which means we delete lots of things that we don't see mm. so i can say I, I i the reason i have this particular model of iphone is because it keeps the elephants away now if that's what i'm looking for that's what i'll see i have an <laughs> iphone there are no elephants therefore it must work <laughs> if 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 i <laughs> it's a silly example but that's kind of oh. the point i'm making is that we we tend we tend to see what we're actually looking for or what we yeah. what we think we see. Yeah. If we can retrain our our vision, I suppose, uh, to to see things from fresh eyes and to see things that maybe we didn't see before, or to be open to seeing things that we may not have witnessed before, that you, allows us to make better choices about how to respond. Perhaps. Do you, do you think it's something that has to do with with being an adult, where you have the um, like what we talked about when you were watching Star Trek, you had you, you mm. could imagine just being out there and um, having one of those communicators and mm. uh, all those kind of things, right? Um, and being able to communicate without an, a, a telephone with my friend down the end of the road with this yeah. device. How cool would that be? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, that kind of imagination uh, in adults. I mean, mm. what kind of people do we talk about? You talk about artists, uh, filmmakers, um, you know, writers, uh, you know, those, those kind of people 
thrive on that kind of imagination in order to deliver. I'm talking also, yeah, I'll, I'll take you on that and I'll, I'll throw in before you continue, I'll add in people like you and people <laughs> like you at Semple and people yeah. like Anne-Marie. Those are also the creators and imaginers of our Of course, of course, of course. But, um, well, thank you. Uh, but also it's it's the but my point with that is more like so once we read a certain level of adulthood which um, I think is quite questionable in and of itself because most people reach a certain adulthood where there's no trace of their youth uh, or youthfulness which I find very worrisome because I think that's something mm. that you need to hold on to very strongly um, I mean, d don't be juvenile, right? But anyway, and um, um, what was my point that I was going to make? When you're in a working environment, mm. you know, you tend to, as an adult, you 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 get into that 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 one lane that you're in, mm. and you do what you need to do, and you don't really, you know, move to left or right or you know, take an exit some point, you could just go like, well, I'm just going into the countryside here for a minute, see what happens. Yeah. But many people don't do that, so they lose a lot of imagination. And then you get mm. into a, into a, uh, an atmosphere where, uh, indeed, you only see what it's you want to see, bit. you hear what you want to mm. hear, and mm. you do your work the way you need to do it and, and stick to that. So mm -hmm. what I'm trying to say is, is, is it really just... Um, a lack of imagination which keeps people um, so rooted in their routines um, yeah I, I see what you mean I mean Ar Arnold Bakers wrote a, an article in one of his on his blog recently about that being you know he, he referred to it as a treadmill um, and that I take that that does happen I actually had a really long conversation over the weekend at home here about age and, and generational things and and I guess when you talk about we get to be an adult, I think part of part of that comes from people reimagining themselves as they get older. Because I was talking about my own experience of being, say, fifteen and trying to imagine what it would feel like at fifty or forty. And all through the different milestones, the thirties, that you know, thirty, forty, and now fifty, I, I I've always reflected I'm not the person that I thought I would be. <laughs> because there are constructs about what it, what it means to be a thirty year old or a forty year old or fifty year old, and that and and, and the the thing that I kind of kept coming back to was you know youth is wasted on the young. What I mean what I mean by that is um, my interpretation of that is there's a there's the, like the energy and the vim and and the ability to sleep four hours a night for extended periods is wasted on young people. If I could have that in my fifty year old you know, experience the world sort of body and mind, that would be like marvelous. <laughs> yeah, true. But I think there's a reimagining ourselves. So at, at 50, I think I kind of, and I think you do the same. We don't, we're not stuck on this idea of what it means to be 50 or 45 or 50, you know, whatever. No. Because we, 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 we have an imagining of what we want to achieve and what we could do or whatever in life. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So I think yeah. there's a, there's a reimagining of, of ourselves as individuals that needs to go into it too. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, there's, there's, I've, when I was like, uh, I was, uh, how old was I? <laughs> See, at your age, you develop Alzheimer's. I, I, think, 
I think it was like 20, 20 something, 21, 21. I had a girlfriend. Um, she had a sister who was 30 years old, mm. had two kids. Mm. And she was not that far away from me. I mean, it was less than a decade. Mm. Um, but she was the oldest person I knew. I Boy. mean, she dressed old. Uh, and she, see, she, yeah. she, when you saw her, you didn't really have the idea that she was like old. Mm. I mean, she was just, she had a young face. She had her children, reasonably young age. And, you know, everything was okay. But she dressed very mature and but also behaved all the time so mature right mm. so it was very um when i looked at that i was that, that was one of the th maybe that's like one of the reasons that i didn't have kids because she was like well if that's what it means then i go like wow mm -hmm. i don't i don't i don't want to i don't want to be like that i don't want to be that old when I'm 30, I mean, 30 isn't old, no matter how you look at it. I mean, it's it's, no. it's definitely not not even halfway, right? And and she was unless you're, unless so, you're a dog, of course. But you know. unless you're a dog, then then <laughs> you're you know you're yeah you're, you're a miracle, yeah yeah exactly. Um, but you know you're not that old, and she she came across like so old, and I was like, your life is so. I'm not saying like done or whatever, but uh -huh. at that moment. When I was that young, that's what I thought, yeah. really. I mean, I thought, well, you're done. I mean, you have nothing other than, you know, your children, which for a lot of people obviously means everything and it means the world. I get that. Mm. Uh, and I, I don't dispute that in any way. And uh, But there's always you, right? Mm. And I didn't believe that she was, you know, there was no child left in that girl in that woman yeah, yeah. There, there was no youth left there was no yeah. sparkle there was there was only taking care of the kids that was the only thing that was there and i at that moment i didn't even have the feeling or the idea that she was doing it um because it was so much fun you know because she can i mean if, if i would have a uh, like a kid uh, be that a, a boy or a girl doesn't really matter uh, the amount of Legos that we would have would be just like epic, <laughs> right? And the times that we would spend in the weekend you, playing... You, you would be the one nagging them to play PS3. Exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Now, have you done your homework yet? I mean, come on, man. Jeez. Yeah, come on. You don't do your homework now. Come and play yeah, PS3. Yeah, yeah. Do it later, do it later, do it later. <laughs> you know, but, but it's true. I mean, I, I, would, I would be like a kid all the freaking time. And, uh, and, and I really don't like parents that are not like that and mm. like but 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 even but a bit yeah but you're supposed to be like that right you're supposed and that's i mean in, in conversation with people too when when you you just make it you know you make fun of something you crack something or yeah. i don't know and and they react all um responsible and mature and and then i go like oh really mm -hmm. <sighs> take a breath relax Imagine yourself playing with Legos, right? And mm -hmm. <laughs> but these people can't, right? I mean, and I think it's sad because the problem with that is you create a certain mindset as an adult, 
and you desperately hang on to that for dear life because that's mm -hmm. the only thing that you have mm. and you cannot move left or right you know uh, moving house is something ooh, uh, when your kids leave for college, that's gonna be the, the, mm -hmm. it'll destroy you because it's the only thing that you knew and blah, and you have no imagination. The only imagination, the only thing that you think of is what am I gonna do when I hit my uh, pension yeah. age? Yeah, and and then what can I do to fill the time between now and then? Right, exactly. Yeah, interesting, you know, because to come back to the question that you asked just as we started started off on this particular rant was, you know, how how is <laughs> Is it that people how is it that people end up like that and i'm sitting here listening and thinking and th thinking to myself i guess for the purposes of this podcast um only a little bit of me is interested in how people get stuck like that really i i am interested i guess mostly i'm i'm interested in in um how how the the imagination or or something new can get catalyzed how can we Spark, you know, you know, relight or keep our sparks lit, mm. and I think some of it's around the people that we're you know we're with. We surround ourselves with people who are probably similar to us in outlook in some senses. But I think there's um there's a thing that I've noticed that I I tend to to surround myself with people who have a spontaneous nature. By spontaneous, I don't mean impulsive, but they they seem to be fresh in their responses to their world and the people around them. They don't have um. Yeah, the, yeah. There's a lot of freshness. So I think some of it is around how we construct our networks and our social lives. And then I was looking back at the lyrics of Imagine here, and thinking of the people that poo-poo it and go, you know, he's a nutter. He's a, he's a you know, there's no way that would happen. And how you know, get real and all that sort of stuff. I mean, he says, you know, one of the lines, you may say I'm a dreamer. Well, yeah, duh. <laughs> <laughs> It's a disclaimer. He's he heads that one. Past. <laughs> he owns that, and then he goes on. He owns that one, and then he he says it twice. <laughs> um, and he goes on. Imagine no possessions, um, no need for greater hunger. Yeah, you know, I don't think anybody in the world would say that they were bad things. I think again to the question of why do people get stuck in that criticism of of imagining something better and new? Why they do it, I don't know. But something happens to them. Where, um, well, they conform. They, they, yeah, and and you know, how do we stimulate creativity? How do we stimulate our spontaneity? Warm our spontaneity up. How do we um, bring newness into our lives in the workplace? Um, and I think we, it, you have to, imagining. Imagination has to be part of it. We don't get some something new unless we start to imagine, and we imagine with other people. I think that's a big part of it. I think so too. I think it's mm. really important for people in general mm. to to you know stay foolish and stay hungry, mm -hmm. right? And uh, yes, he says you may say I'm a dreamer, but he also says, but I'm not the only one. Yeah, and that's, and that's true, that's right? Yeah. I mean, he isn't the only one. There's there's plenty yeah. of people out there that that dream and 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 imagine a better world and. Some of them actually go out and do something about it. Right? Yeah, I mean, I just watched the uh, the keynote of Elon Musk of Tesla, mm, mm. and sure, he's a billionaire, and sure, Tesla is about making money, but not just about making money, right? Yeah. And so the thing that he came up with, he he 
he made the Powerwall. And this is not like a Tesla pitch or whatever, mm. but the Powerwall. And we've been, you know, dreaming and imagining about living off the grid for a while now and trying and to figure out how to do that and those kind of things. Yeah. And it's not easy to do that, not in Europe anyway. And especially not where in Belgium or in the Netherlands or whatever, it's very difficult to do that, actually. And uh, one of the biggest problems with that is storing your power. Mm. And because you can harvest sunlight with your solar panels and you can put up a wind turbine and you know that's all good and well and then you know you run it and then you're grid connected and you give back to the grid and then maybe there's even minus so you make yeah. a little bit of money blah blah but you're still utterly dependent on the grid if they shut down the power you're done you don't have anything and um not really in in the sense where they would uh you know actively or consciously do that but if there's a problem you can have solar panels on your roof, but if the power goes out, you still have no power. And you have yeah. all these things lying around that generate power, but there's nothing you can do with it. Battery storage is one of the biggest problems with that. And and Tesla just came mm. up with that thing. And it's beautiful, mm. it's efficient, and it's very affordable. Mm. It's, it's uh, 7 kilowatt uh, hour for 3,000 us dollar which is really not expensive that so that's your like your initial outlay and then it's yours and that yeah all right yeah so but you still have to put it in right so there's some, some sure but, but i mean that's not it, that but that's the pay. machine yeah that's what you plug into your system and then you have a backup power that when or you can charge it in, during the night with low prices and then use it in in the in the day Time right. with cheaper whatever but if you have solar you can load it up and then you can or, or wind or whatever you can load it up during the day or during the night or whatever and then use it and seven kilowatt hour that that's that's more than enough for you to get through the day mm-hmm. and you can connect them you can connect up to nine of them so you can expand right you, know, you have a community you, of, yeah yeah so it's it's a uh, um but it comes back to somebody imagining mm. how can we deal with this problem where we have this environmental decline due mm. to the use, the overuse, the unresponsible fossil overuse of uh, fossil fuels. I, I thought you'd add that in there, being a car lover. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, well, you know. I like it. I like the combustion engine. I mean, there's, there's, and I, I still yeah. think there's nothing wrong with it. You know, it's just the scale on which it is being per used. That's a, that's a, and that's one of my things. There's nothing wrong with that. Whatever it is, dot 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 per se. It's just what happens afterwards. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, there's just like peanut butter. There's nothing wrong with it. But if you eat only peanut butter, or there's nothing wrong with McDonald's. Mm. Like inherently, I mean, it's okay if you eat a McDonald's. A Mac a burger, the <laughs> Big Mac, like every other month or something. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just you shouldn't eat it every day. And you know. Mm. Anyway, back to imagining. I mean, it's these kind of people that change the world that we live in, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it it starts with somebody imagining a certain future, and then being in a position where he or she 
goes out and does something about it. Obviously, when you're, you know, uh, charismatic and you have a lot of money and you're very smart, you know, the chances of doing something on a scale like that, mm. that's good. But when you put it back into the working environment, you don't need a lot of money. Uh, no. A little bit of charisma is good. <laughs> And that helps, but the most prominent thing that you actually need is the imagination yeah. to, to not only see uh, a problem, but mm. also uh, find a solution in dealing with that problem. So here, here's, exa here's exactly what I find exciting about, well, maybe I'm just about what I see because it's what I do. Being, being in rooms of people where we do the stuff around the sociometry, getting folks connected up on a whole lot of different levels, and, and big picture, connected up on values and purpose of why they're together. And then they come up with this, whatever, it emerges that there's a shared concern or a shared issue or a shared problem amongst them. The exciting thing is when this all kind of, you know, the A-team plan comes together, when I see then people, un, you know, what unfolds then is seeing people doing that imagining together and that's really exciting because no one will have imagined a solution to their shared problem because it seems too big. And when they start to do that together, I find that really exciting. So when you yeah. said that you can, you can connect up the cells, the power cells, that's really exciting. You imagine small towns and villages having networks that have nothing to do with privatized companies making money off selling power, but networks of shared ways of sharing energy around. That's fascinating. That somebody sat in a room and thought that this might happen. We didn't just go along with the idea that oh, it's always going to be power companies privatizing profit that are, we have to buy company energy from. Exactly, and and let's face it, the the the, the ruling order would have it that way, right? They don't want you to be um, imaginative. They don't want you to be creative. That's the first thing that anybody who comes into power does. It's, it's inconvenient. Just, it, 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 yeah, it's inconvenient. Eliminate all the scholars. You yeah. know, I mean, in China, they, they did it pretty dramatically, and they just you know, took all the smart people and the, 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 the visionaries and the, the scholars mm -hmm. and the educated people, and they all put them in the rice paddies. You know, yeah. Just go and work somewhere where you're no bother to us. And every dictator does the same thing. Get all the free thinkers and get them away. Because well, that, that, they always right. and and they always create problems and you know they're the ones who start the resistance they're the ones who come up with ways to to get people to to demonstrate or to undermine you mm -hmm. and and you know that those are exactly the people that you want in the company because mm -hmm. they're the ones who come up with creative solutions to problems that nobody else might be able to solve. Well, th this is one of the things that I was thinking just as you were speaking kind of a couple of dots connecting it's the inconvenience of imagination because the big picture around this i think there's that 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 underlying assumption still in our world that things are and this comes i think from the whole newtonian mechanistic da, 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 way of seeing the world there's an underlying assumption it seems to me uh, that that the world around us is controllable and that it's desirable to control and the world around us is predictable, and that it's, desire, it's desirous to have things predictable. If we imagine that the world is not controllable or predictable, and I think there are lots and lots of people who do imagine that, 
it, you know, just think what new things might come out of that. Our starting point is, is the world is controllable and predictable. That has so, such huge repercussions and ripples on how we organize our lives, our schools, our food, our everything. If you it, get people it is, in the room. Uh, it's the same thing where, where uh, parents, you know, they, they, uh, they make a child. I still believe that. It's, it's a very biological process. And if you do everything right, you make a child. You don't receive a child. But that's another discussion. And, um, yeah, you know. And, uh, I, I, was, I was always taught, hang on a second, whoa, whoa, hang on. I was no, 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 taught, there's the no stalk. No. The first line of that story, the first line of that story was always when a mummy and a daddy love each other. Isn't that the case? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just, well, we would like it to me, be. It's just biological. It's, oh, my God. I, I it's it nature, isn't it? Oh, my God. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry to be uh, the one to bring it to you like that. To disavow me of that. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. But, Sorry, I interrupted. But yeah, we'll talk about it uh, offline and then uh, offline. You know, yeah. we, uh, when we're off the record. Um, oh, hell of a way to make me lose my. Po okay. No, I got it. Yeah. Some parents, and I definitely know my parents had no clue and no idea of my future. My dad always said, "As long as you're happy." Don't give a shit what you do, as long as, as you're happy. Says. My mom says that, yeah. But there are parents who know exactly what it is that their kid is going to do. Yeah. By that age, it's going to that elementary school. By that age, it's going to that high school or whatever. And by that yeah. age, it goes to that college. And by that age, it goes to that university. And by that age, it comes to work in, the, in his daddy's office. Mm. And... Um, when you're brought up like that, and if you live like that as parents, mm -hmm. you can bet there is a disastrous lack of imagination uh, in that family. Mm. And if a kid grows up like that, <laughs> well, I mean, again, what's there to expect? Well, the baby's just been born that we can probably say that's going to happen. The new royal baby here. And that already those sorts of things. They're exactly. Bookmakers laying odds on what this little baby is going to be doing in her life, you know. Yeah, that's. And when, when, and when those, when those predictions and 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 um, expectations don't come about, because we come from a world of everything's predictable and controllable. When it doesn't happen, just like with a machine, if it doesn't happen, what happens? You blame the part of the machine. <laughs> oh, it was faulty. That oh, I see. That bit of the machine was faulty. It had nothing to do with the machine, the big picture. Sure, and in you know? in in the, in the example with parents. They'll blame the school. They'll blame society. Yeah. They'll blame the teacher. They'll blame anything except the child because, you know, it couldn't possibly be their child who's got, who's like rebelling or whatever. That's, that's mm -hmm. crazy talk, you know. And uh, yeah, well, uh, um, yeah, it's the predictability. And mm -hmm. uh, people like that or people think they like it. Uh, there are certain people who like it. That's why they usually get up into a management position, well, because that's where they can exude that control and, uh, and, and that certain predictability. And if you train people hard enough, going mm. back to the military environment, a certain predictability is uh, uh, valued. It's, it's what they want. It's what you would want. That's right. You, and, you, and as a you, society, yeah. Exactly. We, as play, a, we place well, value in those things, yeah. Exactly. So, you know, in certain circumstances, it's great. But in a regular office, nah, man, mm. don't. Just let people be people, you know, have them 
let them have their imagination. If they want to doodle something during a, a, a meeting, let them doodle. You know, uh, I mean, if that's where they get their thing, then yeah. let it be. I mean, mm -hmm. <sighs> sigh. Mm, sigh. Well, yeah. look, um, yes, I mean, I, for me, sigh is, is a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of that. Um, yeah, absolutely. You know, shifting into a gear of imagining and reimagining rather than um, just, you know, I can tell you what's going to happen in my life tomorrow because, the, you know, it's has always happened. It's, um, the world, whether we like to, see, whether we see it or whether we like to see it or not, as you said, you know, it's changing and changing. It's it's staying within your comfort zone. Um, yeah, is 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 a, a dangerous thing. It's comfortable because of that, but it also uh, it is something that that comfort zone gets smaller and smaller and smaller over time. Mm. You know, mm. when you stay mm. within it, anything mm. that's right on the edge of that comfort zone, mm -hmm. you tend to not engage with mm. because it it just pushes you on the edge of your comfortness and mm. you don't want to be there really, actually. You don't mm. want to. So you stay a little bit within that comfort zone. That means that the things on the edge, you tend to lose, which means you create a new edge. How about how about this? And this is because it's what I see the the world through. How about this one? We stay. We we don't like the the discomfort. We don't like the discomfort on our own. How would that work? Because I think we tr it's true. We don't like that kind of being that discomfort zone. I guess my theory is we don't like to be there on our own because it's it's terrifying. It can be terrifying on our own. But if we've got folks around us with us on a similar path or whatever there's i mean i don't really think there's a lot of people uh even who are credited in history that mm. went totally alone at it that's yeah right yeah. there's 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 a few mm. um um a few i i i can't name anybody but i can imagine there were a few who went absolutely and utterly alone and but those who did that, um, they didn't get any recognition while they were still alive, right? Yeah. They 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 did what they had to do because I just saw Stephen Fry go on about Oscar Wilde for a while, mm. and the things that he did, as he does, um, were not appreciated during his time, mm. and he was slowly destroyed by, you know. Uh, uh, the sign of the times, mm -hmm. you know, back then, uh, Victorian mm -hmm. England, and he died miserably mm -hmm. sick, blah, 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 blah. And only after his death, it was death, it was recognized mm -hmm. what he did, and he grew to the man that he is today. But during his life, yeah. that just didn't happen. And, and those kind of people um, uh, would be on their own. Uh, with maybe a couple of people around them that that actually do understand, or mm. but most people would keep him at arms, like because it's just dangerous to be too close to him. Mm -hmm. um, this I do not suggest mm. we do in the workplace because it's a little bit extreme. 
Uh, it's it, yeah, it said uh, when yeah. somebody you know you, we bury somebody or we banish somebody uh, from the workplace, and then years later decide that oh, actually that idea about changing mm -hmm. the the time of the meeting to mm -hmm. ten o'clock because everybody then had a, like a cup of coffee on Monday morning instead first thing on Monday morning. Mm -hmm. It's a bit extreme, so. Mm -hmm. But yeah, but it, it, but in degrees, I think there's some truth in it. So he. Yeah, he was he was on he was on the edge in terms of some of his thinking. Um, maybe some of his stuff was ahead of its time, and you know you know the expression you know I I didn't have its time. Um, I guess the suggestion I'm making is is that in order if we want to reimagine our lives, that it's scary to 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 think we have to do it on our own. But if we are reimagining our lives or our workplaces or our you know our teams at work, that if we do if we're reimagining with others, it feels very maybe more doable. Maybe that's why um, it's good when you have a a like what you do when you bring more people together and have them yeah. realize as a group what can be done or what kind of dynamics there are. Uh, and on other level, mm -hmm. indeed, what Lee Bryan does with post shift, where you know. Mm -hmm you go in and change something on a, on a, on a bigger scale although you do you know you micro changes yeah and and but the ripples are there and yeah. all those kind of things it is scary as a definition to um, um, instigate any change like a, or any yeah. creativity as a single person within a company because most people around you mm. won't feel it uh, it's always good to have a um, Partner, a community uh, partner, a community, yeah, uh, and and that's why the the enterprise social networks that we have now are um, are such a good thing because you can actually Pot you can, a potentially good thing, yeah, a potentially when you know, but mm. you know when those creative ideas can actually flourish because if you mm. create a network like that, if you have like a, a person to person network, then you're limited. You're, the, the amount of layers that you have between you and the rest of the company is too great in order to reach everybody. Mm. And with a, an enterprise social network in an environment where it's stimulated to just, if you have an idea, put it out there. And if mm. people can see that idea, then they can like, oh, that was a good idea. Tell me more. Or maybe have you thought of this? Or just a thumbs up from somebody can be very yeah. stimulating for somebody to think about it a little bit more. But you have to have that environment where yes. people can do that. And um, if the environment is not there, then you get into rebel mode. You get into uh, underground yes. mode. And yeah. that's where it gets down and dirty. And that is where few people can uh, survive mm -hmm. and, and, Very and long. really yeah. make some change because that, that is really difficult and that may, takes, takes a mindset which has an effect on, on everything that you do, not just your work but your personal yeah. life too. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So yeah, mm. imagination. Imagination. Yeah, yeah, you need imagination if you want to reimagine. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's a good thing. I mean, it's it's from for some CEOs, um, which is the one that gave up his million dollar salary and now has like seventy 
thousand and divided yeah. the rest of his salary between his employees, so they all make at least seventy thousand yeah. a year within the company. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. It, that's a leap, right? And he says it. I mean, I saw like discussing it with somebody. I'm I'm getting a return on investment on that. I mean, literally, yeah. not just like uh, from his human capital, if you want to call it that, yeah. but also for in real capital. I mean, I'm gonna make more money because I did that. So it's yeah. not just like, oh, I'm just such, yeah. such a good guy and I just do this because, you know, and then we're going to sit in a circle and sing Kumbaya. I think, yeah. It's a sound investment within in his company. That may have been the same interview that I watched. Cause, and when I watched that, it looked to me that the, in parentheses, right-wing interviewer um, who was interviewing him uh, only started to listen and comprehend when he started, it seemed to me when he said, "I do have an ROI." Yeah, it's right? because it seemed to me, and it just maybe this is just the lens I see that everything before then seemed like this guy's a nut. And yeah. when he said that, he yeah. kind of like, "Oh, oh, oh, oh," because the previous bits, everything else about yeah. it, just doesn't compute. Yeah, it's different True. mindset. I agree um, because, because he was, can't imagine, right? Yeah, can't he, Im- he, exactly. He can't imagine. I think he, th- if this was the same interview, he sort of even said, "Isn't that a communist thing?" <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> where everybody has this, where everybody has the same, and and then he kind of said that you know, oh, you know, this is good. You know, you might be making some money out of doing this, and I kind of thought to myself, you know, you can't have it both ways. You can't say someone's perhaps a communist, having a really good business in the capitalist system. It, it's just, it's a whole new way of thinking about stuff that hadn't occurred to this guy. It, was, it amused me intensely. Yeah, I also had a feeling that he was very happy that he knew the. Uh, um, <laughs> not, my English fails me. Um, what is it like? What is ROI? Uh, what is it as opposed to return on investment? Uh, when you shorten by only using the first letters of the abbreviation. Abbreviation. There you go. Thank you very okay. much. <laughs> it kind of fails my but but uh, I had a feeling that he was very happy that he knew what the abbreviation ROI stood for and because he was like that's oh, right. but that's return on investment right viewers <laughs> and, right, uh, viewers. Yeah, I'm smart <laughs> and, uh, see I'm smart and now I'm very happy anything. because now I know I that understand anything else this guy exactly <laughs> exactly exactly so I'm going to put the link into the show notes just to to yeah. to, to give the perspective where one young guy, because he's not, he's young, he's like thirty something or thirty, yeah. yeah, yeah, he's young, who has an incredible imagination mm. on how he can reform his company and have that mm. that that longevity view of where he wants to go and where he wants to get. And Elon Musk is one of those people who does that too, yeah. and uh, very well uh, if everything works. Mind you, he's investing, mm. or they are investing shitloads of money. But anyway, yeah. and then on the other side, there's an older guy who has a complete and utter lack of imagination and um, <laughs> just doesn't know what to do with it, how to deal with it. And he was very happy to understood the, the that there is an ROI and he's not just doing it to be a happy dude. He's actually some sort making of, money. Yeah, hippie nut, yeah. Yeah, because he also had to ask about the beard, right? So what's about the beard? What's with the beard? Know, Everybody in the picture has a beard. Yeah, and I'm not his, a cliche. Get a haircut, hippie! That's right. It made a connection in his head between beard 
crazy beard crazy beard crazy hippie 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 oh my god and this is 2015 right we're talking about so uh, yeah i'm gonna put that because it illustrates it he was in great danger of of shooting himself in the foot because he was one step away from communist everyone having the same he was one step away from suggesting that he has a right to tell this guy how to run his business and i went okay you can't have that both ways either you can't say we need <laughs> no. freedom and then i'm gonna tell you what to do <laughs> yeah yeah, 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 yeah. It was yeah, one yeah. false move, and he would have kind of inferred that. Yeah. Anyway, my yeah. mind was racing a little bit when I saw that. It was very funny. It was it was a good interview on on how not to do an interview. Yeah, <laughs> and how to be shocked about somebody who has <laughs> a modern day imagination about how to do business and how to do it differently. Yeah, uh, and his again reimagined work properly. Exactly, and has taken into account his context and seen through more objective eyes as to what the world is like and what people are like and humans are not just motivated because you beat them with a stick you know all that stuff he's sort mm. of taken in the information and reimagined that or imagined there's a better way yeah yeah so i'm i'm thinking that might be it for today's podcast. yeah on that note i think we've 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 rented long enough if anybody gets to this point in this podcast hats off we appreciate that a lot. Uh, I know we didn't really uh, have a, a wholly coherent uh, story, but we were just so enticed about talking about imagination and about imagining the actual change that you want to achieve or uh, the actual goal that you want to achieve, even if it's just getting new chairs in the office or being able to work with somebody or dealing or with something that's slightly out of your comfort zone. And maybe we're reimagining what a podcast is about, and it doesn't have to be a wholly coherent story. Exactly. <laughs> because we're free to do whatever it is that we want to do, right? Yeah. And uh, yeah, next time we'll, 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 we'll come up with a proper subject. And This was a proper subject. <laughs> this was a proper subject. What, the, the, what are you talking about? Jeez, yeah. What? What? Yeah. Okay. What? Hey, let's, can I take, refer you back to John Lennon? Please, excuse me. Hello, yeah. Star Wars. Exactly. Imagine doing a podcast about imagining and just, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, that's good. okay. I stand corrected. <laughs> I think okay. on, uh, on that note, we'll say farewell. We say uh, farewell. Uh, uh, please, if you want to keep in touch with us, subscribe to our uh, newsletter. I know it sounds a bit corny, but it's a hell of a way to stay in touch and Keep up to date with all new podcasts. Just go to uh, HTTP, what is it? Well, anyway, subscribe. just type in subscribe.rwcast.com and uh, you can find it there. <laughs>